Hi everyone and welcome to this podcast. We're hosting a leadership and management podcast series featuring CDE of the Year recipients. My name's Jan Orford and I'll be your host today. Today's podcast is, is part of that series and I would like to introduce Amy Rush who is the 2018 CDE of the Year in Western Australia and the Jan Baldwin CDE of the Year. Amy's passion for supporting people with type 1 diabetes began when her brother was diagnosed with diabetes at the age of seven. She wanted him to live the richest life possible and that is, is her philosophy that continues today with all her patients. Amy understands the confusion, fear and loneliness of nighttime diabetes management and created the Diabetes Detective Program, which allows her to provide patients with feedback in real time using CGM. Patients share this data with Amy for a week and she offers them advice and solutions 24-7. She believes that this is just one way technology can help take diabetes management to the next level. Amy is an accredited practicing dietitian and CDE, and in her spare time, she creates rap song parodies with lyrics about type one. Her latest rap, The Real T1D, was a parody of Eminem's song, The Real Slim Shady, and it went viral. So hello, Amy, and congratulations on the rap as well. How are you today? Thank you. I'm very good. Thank you, Jan. Great. Thank you for being here with us. And Amy, I just wanted to, I guess, focus to begin with on what made you actually pursue a career in diabetes education. Yeah, type 1's been a part of my life since my younger brother got diagnosed when he was only seven. So I'm 12 years older than him and I I was actually studying my undergrad in nutrition at the time. So I was already, already really interested in the impact of food on health and disease states. But my brother's diagnosis was my very first introduction to type 1. And when I impact the, uh, witnessed the impact of, that food had on his blood glucose and the role that it played in his disease, my mind was really blown, but I was also hooked straight away. So many years later, my husband, daughter and I had been living in Sweden for quite a few years for his work and I saw the role that I am in now at the Type 1 Diabetes Family Centre advertised online. It was like every bit of me just wanted it and I said to my husband that this is it, this is my dream job. If I get it, we're going home. And then the rest is history. Wow. So here we have you. So that's terrific. Yeah. What is your most impactful memory or association with diabetes then? I had to have a really long, hard think about this question. And I think that there's been a few really impactful moments in my career. Certainly the subsidisation of CGM, um, that has to be up there. But the one that had the most profound impact on me was listening to a talk by Troy Stapleton on the benefits of the reduced carbohydrate lifestyle in the management of diabetes. And this was about four years ago. And I went into the session as a very sceptical dietitian. My university degree had taught me that carbohydrates were a dietary necessity. And here this guy was trying to tell me that they were not only not necessary, but that a person with diabetes would actually benefit from eating much less of them. I left the session wide-eyed, to be honest, And I was willing to investigate. It was kind of um, the start of my kind of um, leeway into some research. And anyone who knows me knows that if something sparks my interest, I'm going to just head down that rabbit hole as far as it's going to take me. So I did. I jumped in 
And it, so much of what I discovered really challenged all the things that I thought were right and all the things that I'd been taught. But looking at the and studying the physiological pathways, reading every bit of emerging evidence and talking to as many real life advocates of the low carb approach as I could, it showed me that perhaps there was this new way that I could potentially employ that would really help my type one patients. So rather than focus on just fixing things with medication, could we also then be fixing things with food? And as a dietitian slash credentialed diabetes educator, it just instinctively felt right. So one of my um, fondest interactions with a patient who came to me to adopt a low carb approach to type one management is actually the patient that I presented on at the Dietitians Association conference last year, 2018. And she's an incredible woman and she lives an exciting and hectic life. She's a mum of two. She runs her own hairdressing business. She studies full time as a, um, a nutrition, studies to be a dietitian. Um, and she's a prominent singer and performer. And she performs most weekends at venues around Perth. So she came to me with a good 17 plus years of type 1 behind her. Blood glucose levels fluctuated anywhere between 3 and 22 millimoles throughout the day. She had regular sub-3 hypos, HbA1cs of 8.3 to 12 plus. Within six months of her adopting that low-carb diet, her HbA1c was down to 6.3%, and that, that was her lowest ever. Her LDL or the so-called bad cholesterol was down, her HDL, her good cholesterol was up. Clinically, she was just an absolute success and her endocrinologist and I were just giving for high fives all over the place. But more importantly to her was that this, this cessation of hypos and these, the tsunami of blood glucose levels was over. She was much more confident to exercise, more confident to perform, and she was no longer fearing hypos, in particularly fearing hypos, having hypos around her children. So I'll never forget her saying that she just felt better all the time, and that's really stuck with me ever since. So Amy, I mean, you obviously love doing what you do, uh, but I wonder whether, given it, it is a, perhaps an area that, that not everyone agrees with still, What's been your biggest professional hurdle or obstacle and how did you overcome it? Yeah, I think establishing myself as an advocate for the low-carb approach to type 1 management, that's definitely been the biggest hurdle professionally and personally, I think. There was quite a lot or maybe sometimes is quite a lot of resistance from health professionals to recognise that the diet as another tool on the diet in the diabetes toolbox. And I totally respect their concerns. I honestly never saw myself as someone interested in research or as someone who would advocate for such a passionate cause. I really honestly just wanted to be able to help patients. But as I started to use the low carb approach with patients and I saw the most like astounding clinical and physiological benefits. I just wanted to shout them for the from the rooftops, and you can you can hear the passion I think in my voice. I can hear it myself. But um, so along with some other really passionate professionals, health professionals, I have made every effort to investigate and present on all aspects of the low carb diet in the type one population. So. That, that includes the article that I co-authored in 2018 in the BMJ Open with Dr. Karen Zinn from the University of Auckland and the CEO of the Type 1 Diabetes Family Centre, Rebecca Johnson, and that's titled Assessing the Nutrient Intake of a Low-Carb, High-Fat Diet, a Hypothetical Case Study, where we were actually able to show a low-carbohydrate diet as nutrient replete. 
Um, as I mentioned uh, earlier, I've also presented an oral case series on both type 1 and type 2 patients on a low carbohydrate diet at the Dietitians Association National Conference and to groups of uh, endocrinologists here in Western Australia. So I do feel like the hurdle is getting smaller and smaller. And as we gain new evidence and as health professionals are seeing the anecdotal evidence from their patients, so the fact that I'm now getting referrals from endocrinologists and other CDEs across Perth and across Australia, it's really humbling. And it shows that our advocacy work has really helped to produce a shift in the way that we can help our patients. Thanks for that, Amy. I, I mentioned in the introduction uh, that you developed a diabetes detective program and I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about that in terms of how it works and, and what changes you've seen in the care of your patients as a result. And also, yeah, I guess, sorry, <laughs> sorry. Uh, the other, it, it's a two-pronged two question, I guess. Have you encountered people who are sceptical when working on on project like this or a, pro a program such as this? And if so, how did you keep motivated to keep going? Okay, so the first part, the Diabetes de Detective Program, that is one of the funnest parts of my job, I think. It's like Diabetes Clinic Supercharged. So it offers virtually over a short time frame during which we can solve a person's diabetes dilemmas, I think you would say, really rapidly and really effectively. So first of all, I meet with the patient in a clinic session and we'll discuss what their goals are for that diabetes detective period. So they may be having issues with carbohydrate ratios or they may be struggling to adjust insulin around exercise. But whatever it is, we will chat about what they've tried and the potential things that we may try over the coming days. It really helps us to establish, to establish what times of the day that they will need to communicate with me and we set up those, those boundaries. I'll loan them my CGM if they don't have one so that way I can link in and watch them real time. So during the diabetes detective period, the patient and I will chat back and forth via WhatsApp and I'll keep track of their blood glucose online via um, my CGM or their CGM app. The timing and the amount that we chat completely depends on their goals and I'll offer advice around what the patient can try and then we'll discuss the outcomes around that. Everything we do is a discussion and a learning experience. So I'm not telling them what to do. We're talking about what we could potentially do and then they learn from what they implement. It's a really concentrated clinic experience and the patient can achieve more in just a few days than they would over a year of quarterly um, clinic appointments with me. Have I encountered any naysayers? Um, the feedback I receive from patients is overwhelming. They love it, absolutely love it. And to, most of them will say to me, this has been a life-changing experience. Can we get back and do this in six months' time when things might change? So that's really humbling. I would say there's been some question from the professional community over the role of the dietitian CDE versus the nurse CDE when it comes to working with patients around food and changing um, or manipulating insulin dosages. And I certainly appreciate the concerns, but I do feel that the individual practitioner's knowledge and the scope of practice really needs to be recognised. And I've devoted my career to helping people manage their type 1. I'm pretty confident in my knowledge and confident in the way that I'm educating the patients themselves. The Diabetes Detective Program is all about education. This is what you did. This is what the blood glucose response was. Now, how, how could you have done something different to have had a better outcome? 
And I, I love being innovative. I love helping people to trial new management approaches. And I mean, this, this is one of the reasons why I was recognised with the CDE of the Year Award last year. So I am very proud of the program and really happy with what it's bringing to my patients. As a dietitian CDE, I, I think that I can bring a lot to the table when it comes to the impact on, of food on a person's blood glucose level beyond just counting carbohydrates and looking at carb ratios. And I've got a number of nurse CDEs here who will refer to me 100% for this reason. I respect my scope of practice and I won't practice outside of it with each patient. And But that may differ from patient to patient. So depending on the other members of their diabetes team, Diabetes is an all-inclusive disease, so our patients do really need a variety of care from a variety of professions. And as a dietitian CDE, I would really love to see more collaboration between the ADEA and the DAA to upskill both sides of us um, in, in terms of diabetes management. Thanks, Amy. I couldn't agree with you more. Thank you for that. Um, and one of the things that I can certainly look at from, from outside, having been out of the the specialty for a couple of years, but diabetes care and management has changed so much uh, in recent times. And I'm wondering your experience, what has made the biggest impact in the quality of life people living with diabetes um, have experienced in, in, in that recent time frame? I would have to say that this is the CGM subsidy for sure. It's definitely made the biggest impact on the lives of people with type 1 under the age of 21. And I will never forget that morning. It was Sunday morning and I woke up to, I think I had 60 plus emails in my inbox saying, book me in for a session, let's get this CGM, CGM on now. So it's made, um, obviously made, made massive changes across Australia and not just for the kids, but for their parents too. I remember thinking before the announcement that it was going to be huge. We're going to have so much data and I was getting all excited and we're going to be able to help these kids manage their blood glucose levels so much better. And as a, a numbers cruncher and as a tech geek, I was so excited. What I had, um, hadn't factored in though really was the effect that it would have on the people that love them and the people that cared for them, the people who were actually acting as their pancreas, particularly overnight. And whether that be full-time or just overnight, this was just such a game changer. So I would go as far as saying that having their child's blood glucose sent to their mobile phone has really given parents part of their lives back. Where they felt so lost and afraid before, now they're more knowledgeable, they're more confident to manage their children's blood glucose levels. So the CGM Access Program has taken away a large amount of their fear in both the wearer, so the child, but also the sharer, so the parent. And that's been, I think, the most beautiful thing. And I, I honestly do wish that that's something that every person with type 1 could experience. Amy, your passion comes through very clearly, but um, I, I wonder if you could tell the members or people listening what advice you'd give them if they're new in their career or looking to pursue a role in, in leadership or management or starting a new program or beginning their own practice. What are your thoughts on that aspect? Jan, you answered this question for me. It's passion. <laughs> I think, um, yeah, easily, easy. It's be passionate. I mean, I hope that if you ask my colleagues and patients to sum up my work in one word, that they would, that's exactly what they would say. Oh, she's passionate. And 
a person's diabetes is really such a personal space, I think. It's one that many people struggle to let anybody else into. And as health professionals, we don't automatically just have the right to assess and to judge someone's diabetes self-management. We really need to earn that person's trust and we need to prove our worth when it comes to helping them. And I think you can only do this if you are truly passionate about the work that you do. Having said that, it's also really important, I think, to be courageous. So believe in what you're doing and give your work your all. Do the research, speak to other people who have done it before, use the tech and be prepared for setbacks. And when you do get a setback, reassess and go in at it again. Thank you for that. So what do you think are the characteristics that you believe every leader should possess? I mean, are there any characteristics that you feel are detrimental for a leader to have? I would say a good leader has an open mind. Someone who's willing to open um, or willing and open to discussing challenging ideas and changing their own minds and opinions based on what they learn. I think in our profession, especially with such rapidly changing landscapes, that humility is really vital. Leading from behind would also be a really great quality. So rather than delegating tasks, answering questions, a good leader would be someone who would ask and push others to think bigger. So I, having my own leader to do this for me has really helped me to feel more cap capable and more confident in my own abilities. And knowing that I have my leader's support and that she will back me up no matter what, that has been really crucial to my development as a professional. Okay, Amy, and finally, if you won the lottery tomorrow, how would your professional life change? And would you spend more time working on, uh, on your rap parodies perhaps? <laughs> this question wouldn't have anything to do with that $100 million jackpot a few weeks ago now, would it? I think we all had uh, these conversations. Um, if I won the lotto, would my professional life change? Well, I, I would be lying if I said no, but it, do, it does have me conflicted, this question. And um, even before the podcast, my husband and I had this conversation and I was conflicted. So on the one hand, I absolutely love my job and I get a real high of helping my patients and it's such a massive part of my life. But on the other hand, my family mean the absolute world to me and if I was able to spend uh, limitless amounts of time with them, that would be amazing. Um, I also love to travel and I've lived overseas for many years and I'd love that experience again. So I think I'm really conflicted. Um, so I would think I would just have to do a bit of it all really. and. Yeah, I'd definitely be writing more raps, perhaps in the comfort of business class on the way to Santorini or somewhere. Sounds like the perfect workspace to me. Yes, so for thank sure. You so, <laughs> thank you so much for that, Amy. And I guess just to finish, uh, to round off, I wonder if um, you could uh, give us any take-home messages that you might have for our listeners. Yeah, I think my best bit of advice would to be just always be open to learning. We've ne we can never stop learning and diabetes is one of those areas that is going to keep rapidly changing. So we will have to keep learning. There'll never be a time that we know all there is to know. And I know that, especially with type 1 diabetes. So just try the tech, read the journals, chat to the professionals, but more so chat to the people who live with type 1 or li live with diabetes every day. Thank you, Amy. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and I'm sure that this podcast will inspire our, our listeners 
still furthering this profession because it's a wonderful one. And it thank is. you for that. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. And if you, if you have any questions, please feel free to email them to education.adea at adea.com.au. And until next time, a really big goodbye. Thank you.